Well, good morning, Citylight. How are we doing today? Awesome, awesome. Hey, my name is John, one of the pastors here at this church. It is great to be with you all today. God's word with God's people. It's the best morning ever. Hey, if you're new here, if you're new here, I just want to say welcome to this church. If you're joining us online in person, I just want to say welcome, and we'd love to connect with you. We want to help you in your spiritual journey, or however that may look like today. So we have our connect cards in the back, in a parking lot, and man, we want to just engage with you today and see what God has in store for you. So today, we'll be in Philippians 3. Philippians 3. We only have two weeks left here. Philippians 3. And we're following this theme of just knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Not just know things about him, but to know Jesus experientially. To experience his manifest presence in our lives today. And as you go about your day-to-day lives, you would know Jesus in such a tangible way, more so than you have yesterday, and you grow more in likeness of him, more so than you have yesterday. The biggest need in this world today is simply a group of people who know Jesus in an intimate way. That is the need That is the need. That is what we're aiming for and what we're aiming for through Philippians 3. So let's just jump right into it and read read verse 12 through 21 together. So not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many whom I often have told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is this destruction, they, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I can stop right there. Call it a day. First of all, I want you to notice the commands before we get this started. Look at verse 15. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. If you're mature, think this way. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to it. Live up to it. Look at verse 17 as well. Brothers, join in imitating me, Paul, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So how does Paul want them to think? What does he want them to live up to? What is he calling them to imitate? What we'll see in this passage is that Paul wants the church of Philippi to think, to live, to be the type of people who press on to know God. Paul 
wants the church to live, to think, and to be the type of people who press on to know God. The type of people who makes every effort to know God in such a tangible and deeper way. This is God's desire, and this is God's desire for us today. He does not want us to fall into complacency. He does not want us to go through the motions. He does not want us to think that we know enough about him and can skate through the rest of our lives. God does not want us to think that we have arrived. God does not want us to think that we have arrived. He wants us to keep pressing on to know him and grow in likeness of him. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the need of the world. So today, I have three motivations for you as to why we should press on. Just three. Three godly motivations as to why you and I can press on to know God in such a deeper way. By no means possible, I am a motivational speaker, but I will guarantee you God's word will motivate you. And this is what we're aiming for today. So let's pray, and let's get on to this. God, we want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you so much that you are here today, present. And Lord, I just pray that we may see you, we may, may we prize you today more than we've ever had. We want to see you, Lord, as more beautiful, more glorious, more majestic than what we have previously known about, Lord. May the things that we know always sink to the heart, Lord, so we can glorify you, we can enjoy you, we can see you, God, as our one thing. So, Lord, would you speak today with your word through the work? So, Lord, we love you so much. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, ready? Motivation number one. Press on because Jesus has made you his own. Press on because Jesus has made you his own. You see that in verse 12. Not that I've already attained this, already imperfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The word own, the word own in its most little meaning is to know fully and to hold tightly. That's what ownership is. That's what Paul is trying to get at. The word own is to know fully and to hold tightly. It's to know Jesus fully both in your head and in your heart. You know, it's to know Jesus fully both in your knowledge and in your experience. It's to know Jesus fully in all his glory. It's to know Jesus fully in his work in you and through you. It's to know Jesus fully in his work. It's to know Jesus fully in the significance of his very name. It's to know Jesus fully in all his majesty. To know Jesus fully in all his beauty. To know Jesus fully in everything that he is. And to know the significance of his love for you and I. And to know all these things and to hold on to it tightly. And to grab on to it tightly. To hold on to it tightly these things. This is what it means to own. This is what Paul is pressing on. And you and I haven't arrived to this idea and will never arrive in here on earth. But we still press on. Why? Because Jesus has made you his own. Jesus knows you fully and knows you tightly. It holds you tightly. Jesus, the God of the universe, owns you. He knows you fully and holds you tightly. You are his, so you can press on to make it my own because Jesus has made you his own. 
Every morning, I have two things that I'm holding on to. Almost every morning. On the left hand, I have my coffee cup. On the right hand, I have my baby. Okay? My left hand, I, I, have, I know about this coffee. I know where we bought it. I know how much coffee we have. I know what kind of coffee it is. I know a little bit what the temperature is. I know where the cup came from. I know a story behind it. I also know what kind of brew that we had on this coffee. I also know the type of creamer that we used to this coffee. And I know, I know how much coffee I have at this moment, so I hold on to it. I own this coffee. All right? On the right hand, I have my baby. And I know my baby. You know what I'm saying? I know my baby. Like, I have seen him on his birth. I saw, I've heard his first cry. I've held his hand. I have seen his first smile. I know when he's hungry. I know when he's sleepy. And I know when he needs me. I know this kid. This is my baby. This is my son. And in a such a tangible way, Jesus knows you fully and holds you tightly in this capacity. Jesus, the God of the universe, knows you in this way. Like, he knows you in such a way that he knows your thoughts from afar. He is acquainted in all your ways. Jesus, before a word is on your tongue, what? Jesus knows it all together. Jesus formed your inward parts. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. You were intricately woven and in the depths of the earth. Jesus, I saw your inward parts. And now your life is in the palm of his hand. Jesus knows you fully and holds you tightly. So you can press on to make it my own because Jesus has made you his own. And he knows you and holds on to you tightly and owns you in such a way that he sent his only son to live the life that you and I cannot live, a life of moral perfection. He died the death that you and I deserve, a death of eternal damnation, so that through his resurrection we can have a new life that you and I can never and will never deserve, a life of eternal salvation. Jesus, a new life with a secure future, a restored relationship with him. Jesus knows you fully and holds you tightly. You are his. This is the significance of being owned by Jesus, a life of moral perfection, a life now, a death of eternal damnation leads into a life of eternal salvation from his love for you because he owns you. If the prodigal son, if you look, look at 15, if the prodigal son were to write a poem to his father, y'all don't know what the story of the prodigal son. If the prodigal son, he left, he left all that he had to live the life that he wanted and came back to see his father and to return in his father's arms and celebrate the rest of his life. If the prodigal son were to write a poem to his father, I, to his father, I think this is what he would write. I think this is what he would write. Just follow with me here for a little bit. I counted you as dead so I can live the life I wanted instead. I squandered my treasures with reckless living until a famine arose that left me with nothing. So I took a job in making sure pigs ate, yet no one came to prepare me a plate. I finally came to myself and said, my father's servants have more than enough bread. So I arose to head back to you in shame, ready to receive all of the blame. 
You saw me from a long way off and felt compassion. Then you ran, embraced, and kissed me with passion. I said, I no longer, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But you said, hurry, let's throw a party just for this one. I was wandering and sinking to the depths of the ground, but because of you, I was dead and now alive. I was lost and now I'm found. I want you to realize today, Jesus has made you his own. This is his heart. You are his. He ran after you. He ran and let go of all his dignity to die for you. Romans 5 says that God demonstrated his love for us. That what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you don't know Jesus, I urge you to repent and believe in what he has done for you today. Before you even, even think about pressing on, first receive the love of God by faith in him. This is the most important decision you will make in your life today. Jesus has made you his own. You are his. So we can press on because of this fact. So now we ask, okay, this is the motivation. Press on because Jesus has made me his own so now how do, we, how do we do that? How do we press on? And God gives us a two-step process. I love this thing. Verse 13, you see that. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That step one right there is to forget. Step one is forget. How do you press on? You forget. It says right there, forgetting what lies behind. This is the first step. And what Paul is trying to forget here is his success and his failures. Paul is trying to forget his past success and his past mistakes, shortcomings, sins, failures. He's trying to forget all about that. Paul is not depending on his success, nor is he dwelling on his failures. Why? Because he knows he knows that to depend on your success will neutralize and to dwell on your failures will paralyze. To depend on your success will neutralize and to dwell on your failures will paralyze. Paul is not depending on the fact that he is of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He isn't dependent on the fact that he received the most prestigious education, a status, a citizen of Israel can have. Paul is not depending on his ministry achievements. He isn't dependent on the fact that because of Paul, the gospel has reached greater heights in various parts of the world. It's important to understand that by the time Paul was writing this letter, Paul had already, pre had already preached to the synagogues in Damascus, restored Dorcas to life, Many Jews and Greeks believe in the gospel through him. Yet many, he made many disciples in Lystra. He strengthened the church in Syria and Sicilia. And he also founded the church of Corinth and founded the church of Philippi. Yet he didn't depend on these accomplishments. He definitely celebrated them. He certainly gave glory to God. And he certainly was encouraged by all these achievements, but he is not depending on his success to dictate his present disposition to know God. Paul is not dependent on it. Yet many of us have fallen in this camp. Many of us depend or have, dependent, have been dependent on our success. 
Many of us have depended on our achievements, talents, resources, and even good works. Many of us have rested on our laurels. The success that was meant to encourage you and I to press on can neutralize you to be complacent, to be prideful, to be overconfident, to be inactive. The success that was meant to, neutral, to, meant to encourage you to press on now has neutralized you to be complacent, to be inactive, to be prideful, to be overconfident. You know, one of the most dangerous things I can have here standing right now as a pastor is to believe the lie that my, that my competency is a reflection of my maturity. It's to believe the lie that my competency is a reflection of my maturity. That my competency is a reflection of how much I know God. Just because I can preach a sermon, just because I can have, be good enough in my prayers, just because the Lord has used me to be part of this church planning thing for about a year and a half, just because I've seen all these things, then I'm good. All I have to do is maintain, go through my routine, because all is well. Yet in the midst of that, I lose my desperation before God. I lose my desperation to press on. I lose all of it because I, all of a sudden, recoil back to think that what I know about him is enough for me to, be, to achieve the things I want to do for him. But no. No, don't believe it, lie. I thought I have arrived. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that your competency is a reflection of your maturity. To depend on your success will neutralize you to press on to know God in a deeper way. So what success are you depending on to this day? What is it? What is it? Wrestle it with the Lord this week. What am I still depending on to dictate my present disposition to know you today, God? Today. And on the other side of the camp, so for forgetting, the other side of the camp is we're not depending on your success. The other side of the camp is dwelling on your failures, right? To dwell on your failures will paralyze. will paralyze you with guilt, paralyze you with all that. Many of us have dwelled or are dwelling well on our failures, dwelling on our shortcomings, dwelling on our sins. You know what's crazy about this passage? What's crazy when Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, he's literally talking about not dwelling on the fact that he used to persecute the church, that he used to kill Christians. He isn't dwelling on that. Isn't that crazy? And you see, and you, and you read Romans 7, he also isn't trying to dwell on the fact that he is still sinful after being a Christian. Paul is not depending, is not dwelling on the sins of yesterday. Paul is not dwelling on the sins of yesterday. To press on to know God is to stop dwelling on the failures and the sins and the shortcomings of yesterday. And again, so many of us have fallen in this camp. So many of us. You know, our failures, our sins, our shortcomings, that were meant to lead us into God's mercy now has paralyzed us with guilt. And you begin to say to yourself, I don't deserve enough to be in fellowship. I don't deserve enough to go to church because of what I've done last night. And you begin to say to yourself, God, I'm going to try to make it up for you. I'm not going to do that again. 
So you wake up the next day thinking, dwelling on that. God, I'm not going to do that again. You wake up the next day dwelling on that sin. God, I am not going to do that again until what happens again? You did it. Because why? Because you paralyzed yourself on dwelling on what you did in the past. I want you to understand, Paul definitely acknowledged his sin. Paul definitely repented and confessed in his sin, but he did not dwell on it. And some of you have allowed your sins of yesterday to paralyze you from knowing God in an intimate way. Some of you have allowed your sins of yesterday to paralyze you from knowing God in an intimate, powerful way. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all Unrighteousness. I want you just I want you just wash that truth over your minds right now. If you have confessed and repented, now you are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Cleansed, clean. And in that what? God now wants you to stop dwelling on your failures. God now wants you to stop dwelling on the sins of last week, of this morning. God now wants you to stop dwelling on the sins of last month. God now wants you to stop dwelling on the sins of last year. God now wants you to stop dwelling on the sins of your past because he wants you to keep pressing on. God wants you to experience more fullness of joy in him now and forever. To press on is to forget what is behind because Jesus has made you his own. Press on is to forget what is behind because Jesus has made you his own. I still remember my engagement story about three years ago. I planned this well, guys. I just want to say, I planned this well. So what I did, what I did, I, I, I I contact my wife right now, Leah's roommate, and say, can you meet her at a specific spot which has an open field in Charlottesville and we can see the sunset? It was like the peak of fall too, okay? So we got that covered, all set and clear. I got the ring, like I got everything done. I got my photographer, so my photographer and I drove that morning, the day of of the proposal, and we had to scout out the place, okay. It was the peak of fall, beautiful, beautiful weather. We scouted out the place, We we were on the field, and we saw, I mean, we scouted it out. We were right here, center, up in center, okay? Mountains right behind us, open field, no people, great. And then I had an hour to spare. I had an hour to spare. I had an hour to spare. So it was really cold that day, and there weren't any place to, to stay at. So I had to find a, a local coffee shop nearby. So I went into this coffee shop next to Charlottesville in Crozet, and I got a Cortado. Y'all don't know what Cortado is. It's just basically warm milk and a little bit of coffee. Okay, don't get that. Okay, Cortado. I got a Cortado. I've never had a Cortado ever since, but I got a Cortado. I was supposed to preach the next day somewhere, and so I was sermon prepping a little bit. And then all of a sudden, uh, Leah's sister-in-law gave me a call, panicking. Like panicking, hyperventilating. And he was like, John, she knows you're there. I'm like, wait, what do you mean she knows you're there? She got your receipt online. 
Um, first of all, like, how did that even happen? How did that even happen? I did not ask for a receipt, but for some reason, technological-wise, I'm just going to explain it real quick. Apparently, that coffee shop had a square thing that accepted through the iPad. Apparently, that my car was somehow connected to, to my email was somehow connected to her rewards points or something like that. I'm, I still don't understand to this day. I still think she's stalking on me, but still, we are here today. I screwed up. She knew that I was coming. So what should I do? I already made a mistake. I guess we just got to keep going. It's got to keep pressing on, right? So I did. I waited for another 45 minutes. I drove to that place. I saw her looking in the fields, and, you know, nonchalantly, I said, wow, nice view, huh? <laughs> she walked back, crying, hysterical. And I'll never forget the first word she said to me. So how's that Cortado, you idiot? <laughs> if I wasn't down, she just like stopped me on the ground. So I kept pressing on, kept pressing on. And no lie, this actually happened. No lie. As we were walking towards that place I wanted to propose, I literally saw one of my shoelaces untied. So without even thinking about it, without even thinking about it, I knelt down on one knee to tie my shoe. And what's even worse, the, the, ca the camera guy who was all the way there had to sprint all the way back to catch us. No, but that didn't happen. I stood up, kept pressing on. <laughs> kept pressing on. And then she said yes, obviously. Two years later, now we have a four-month-old kid. The Lord has been very gracious. But I want you to show an example. The reason why I say that example, your life may not be as what you've planned today. Your life may not be as what you've imagined today. You, in your spiritual walk with God, may not be where you want to be today. But you can press on. Why? Because Jesus had already said yes to you. Jesus has already said yes to you. You can press on because Jesus has made you his own. He knows you fully and holds you tightly. Jesus. So you can press on. You can make every effort to know him. That's only step one, right, to forget. That leads us into step two, which is to strain. How do we press on? First one is forget. First step two is to strain. Look at verse 13 one more time. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand the word strain, you have to circle that word. The word strain means to stretch oneself forward, to stretch oneself forward. What Paul's trying to say is you want to stretch every muscle possible to know Jesus fully. It's, your stre it's to stretch yourself in such a way towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus because the prize is in the calling. How are you stretching yourself? Stretching yourself to know God in such a way to look to his upward call because the prize is in the calling. God's call over your life is always upward. God's call over your life is always upward. Your feet may be stuck in the mud right now and you're trying to press on to move forward, but what matters is where your gaze is. The way to move forward is to look upward. 
The way to move forward is to look upward. The world's way of moving forward is what? Move forward. Just move on. But our way, our way of moving forward is to look upward. Our way of moving forward is to look upward. If up is where you're looking, then the call of God is what you'll keep finding. Your faith is like a telescope by which you can see the upward call of God from your dim-sighted reason can only see. And what is up? What is up? 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is up? Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body. What is up? 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And what is up? Romans 8.30. And we know. And we know for those who love God are called, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For, doom, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So to strain, to depend on your success is to say, I have arrived. To dwell on your failures is to say, I will never arrive. But to direct your eyes and the upward call of God is to tell God himself, I will arrive. I will arrive. So forget and strain. This is how you press in. And I don't want you to miss this. And that last part of the passage, I press on, to know, to know, I press on towards the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You press on in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the engine by which you press on to know him. Jesus is literally the engine, the power by which you can press on the gas pedal to know him. He is it. You work through the power of his grace. He will supply what you need every day to press on. He will. Why? Why? Because he has made you his own. You can press on to know Jesus, to know him in a tangible way, to know him fully, and to hold him tightly, to see his beauty, to see his glory, and to hold on to all these things because Jesus has knows you fully and holds you tightly. I hope you will never forget that. It's all you need every single day in your life. Jesus knows me fully and knows me tightly. And holds me tightly. I wake up in the morning to read the Bible. I'm not just going through the motions. The God of the universe owns me. The God of the universe is grabbing onto me. My life is in the palm of his hand. I want to explore the depths of his riches more so this morning and in all the days of my life. Jesus knows you fully and holds you tightly. You can press on. So that's motivation number one. Motivation number two, press on because you are under attack. Press on because you are under attack. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now Paul didn't specify the group of people he was talking about. 
There are many possibilities. They could be the group of Jews who still believe that you needed to be circumcised to be saved. They could still be the group of antinomian Christians who believe that you could do whatever you want as long as you are saved in Christ Jesus. It could also be a group of, the, of perfectionists who believe that you can have a perfect life now, today, in Christ Jesus. It could also be people who have heard the gospel, knows about it, but rejects its truth. He... Paul could also be talking about the people who go to church every week but do not live in perfection, in reflection of the truth of Jesus. So in his most general way, Paul is talking about the people who claim to know Jesus but don't really know him. He's talking about the people who know things about Jesus but who don't know the heart of Jesus. He's talking about the people who may know everything about the life of of Jesus, but don't know what it's like to live with Jesus. And these are the type of people that the devil uses to attack us, to keep us from pressing on. And one commentary said, these people may have been and probably were very religious, honest, sincere Christians. But their goodness and the religious acts that they faithfully perform in any way tended to keep them from casting themselves wholly upon God and asking for the righteousness that he supplies only through Jesus Christ. If their beliefs and practices set them in opposition to the gospel of salvation by Christ alone and its outworking in a life of obedience and earnest moral endeavor, if they're doing the law threatened and exclusiveness and forgiveness of sins by faith in Christ, then for Paul their conduct was indeed evil because it brought harm both to themselves and to others. I'll keep going. This is a similar type of people that Jude warns in Jude 1. Look at verse 12. Jude 1, verse 12. These are, these are hidden wreaths at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitful trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, Casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It is these who cause division, worldly people, and devoid, devoid of the Spirit. The biggest threat for us as a church to, is to fill facts about the Spirit in our minds, but to lack the Spirit in our lives. The biggest threat for us as a church is to fill facts about the Spirit in our minds, but to be devoid of it in our lives, to be completely devoid of it, to take glory in what we should be ashamed of, to listen to the desires of our sinful hearts, and to look on the things of these worlds. These are three categories by which the devil is using constantly to attack you and I. So navigate that. Navigate. How are you being attacked right now? How are you being attacked? Are your mind set on earthly things too much? Are you self-indulging yourself by the, by, the, by the desires of the flesh? Are you taking glory in what you should be ashamed of? These are specific ways you need to attack, navigate, so you can press on. An enemy of the cross right here is marked by self-indulgence. But a friend of the cross is marked by self-denial. Self-denial. And verse 18 is completely opposite of self-denial. 
I'm going to read it again. For many of whom I have often told you, now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemy. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this leads us to our third motivation. Press on because Jesus is coming. Press on because Jesus is coming. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus is coming. And if Jesus is coming, it means our king is coming. And we are his citizens. If Jesus is coming, it means our king is coming and we are his citizens. It's important to note that Philippi was a Roman colony, which meant its citizens, the Philippi citizens, were actually also citizens of Rome. And then at that time, being a citizen of Rome is like being a citizen, a citizen of a first world country. You have the highest legal privilege and right once you, one, you, one you can have in this world. They weren't just citizens of a third world country. They were citizens of the third, first world country. Highest of the highest. Sounds familiar? A citizen of heaven. But what Paul is taking their citizenship is to a higher level, a higher degree. That he's saying the fact now you are a citizen of heaven. You are living according to the rights, laws, and privileges of heaven. Your name may be listed under this country, but your name is written in heaven. If you are in Christ, your name may be listed in under, is under this country, but your name is written in heaven. You may have life now in this country, but you will have life with him forever. You may experience liberty here and now, but as Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. You may have access to property in this country, but you have access to God's heavenly throne. You may sing this country's national anthem, but you will be singing your heavenly anthem forever, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. Amen. Not only are you a citizen, but as verse 21 says, Jesus will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our bodies are the expression of our weakness and of our fallenness. Our bodies are the description of our corruptibility and our mortality. And from our bodies, we experience pain. And from our bodies, we shed out tears. And from our bodies, we cry out for help. And from our bodies, we grow in frustration. And from our bodies, we sometimes get, get these disabled. And from our bodies, we fall down in exhaustion. And from our bodies, we die. But when the Savior comes, the Savior, not just a Savior, but the Savior, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. He will, death shall be no more. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Because we will see him perfectly. We will know him fully and hold him tightly. 
press on because Jesus has made you his own. Press on because Jesus is coming. And the power he used to create and impoperate this world is the same power he will use to transform us to be like his glorious body, immortal. We will be immortal with God. Our future immortality will serve to know God fully for eternity. This is it, guys. This is what we're living for. So we press on to see him, to know him, to hold him, to, to know him, to love him, to enjoy him forever and forever. And we live in light of what we have in eternity now and forever. And may glory be to God our Father. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to say thank you. We thank you for your word. And I pray right now, Lord, that we would help us press on. But more importantly, Lord, may we know, may we always remember that you have known us fully and have held us tightly, God. Lord, you're so good. You are so good. So right now, Lord, as we reflect, as we sing, we just help us, God. Help us think. Help us. What do we need to forget, God? Lord, help us think. What do we need to stop depending on? What do we need to stop dwelling on? How are we being attacked? And am I eagerly awaiting for your coming? Lord, help us. Search our hearts, God. Search our hearts today. Oh, Lord, we love you so much. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with us. And let's celebrate the goodness of God over our lives. Oh, how high would I climb mountains If the mountains were where you hide And oh, 